That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. I want to start off with the Republican Party is pretty freaked out right now. And, you know, I toss this out as a question to you. Does it seem to you from the people that you know, the friends that you're talking to, the trends that you're seeing on social media, what you're hearing around the water cooler, what you're hearing at family and friend gatherings, that this might be the case. The headline that over at Raw Story was three alarm fire, Republicans shaken and now fear losing both the Senate and the White House in, of course, November 2020. This is all based on a report over at Axios saying that Republicans have been shaken by poor fundraising results. They're also worrying they may lose the White House. <laughs> Gee, you think? I mean, Trump has never had his favorability ratings, to the best of my knowledge, never had them above 50%. His net negatives are just startling. Democrats only need to pick up three seats to win back control of the Senate if there's a Democrat in the Oval Office. I'm not sure why they if, but in any case, there it is. Democrats are raising more money. Democrats are polling better. And uh, this Axios notes in battleground state after battleground state. And the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Keep in mind, this all started with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in 1971 when Lewis Powell wrote a memo to his buddy Eugene Sindor, who was the, the head guy over at the chamber. And a friend of his and a neighbor of his. And that memo said, we've got to take over the schools, we've got to take over the, the churches, we've got to take over the courts, we've got to take over the universities, we've got to rewrite the textbooks, we've got to create institutions of propaganda, essentially, think tanks. And out of, the, out of this whole thing, oh, and we've got to start buying the media, et cetera, et cetera. And out of this came the Heritage Foundation and the Cato Institute. And the right now you've got the Federalist Society, which is feeding judges, young right-wing judges to the courts like there's no tomorrow. Out of this came the acquisition of well over 2,000 radio stations by right-wing sources, television, over 200 television stations by Sinclair, the creation of Fox News by Rupert Murdoch, a billionaire who lost hundreds of millions of dollars in the first five years. But hey, it's worth having. They built this entire infrastructure while the Democrats were sitting around going, hey, hey the unions will keep us going. Uh, you know, and, and what's so incredible is that then the next year, Nixon puts Powell on the Supreme Court. And then in 1976, Powell says, you know, or the Supreme Court says in the decision called Buckley versus Vallejo, a five to four decision set for the first time in the history of the United States says, you know, if a billionaire wants to own a politician, we used to call that bribery, right? It used to be illegal. I mean, there's laws going back to the 1800s making that illegal. But we, the Supreme Court, are going to say, it's not illegal. That's free speech. It's protected by the First Amendment. If a billionaire wants to spend money owning a politician or buying some political outcome, that's fine with us. And that, of course, that decision in 76, and then the one two years later in 78, the uh, First National Bank versus Bellotti decision, which said, oh, and by the way, this is true of corporations, too. If they want to own their own private politicians, that's free speech also. That opened the spigot to an avalanche, a flood, a river of money flowing into the 1980 campaign 
sweeping Ronald Reagan and Republicans into office, and you know the, the rest is history, essentially, which is how we get to today. Here we have now Alexander Vindman. Alexander Vindman was three years old when he came to the United States. His parents brought him and his brother here from Ukraine. It's the all-American immigrant story. He went to school, he learned English, he became an American citizen. He went off to Iraq where he fought and was wounded. He has been in the U.S. military for since 1998. I mean, this guy has just an absolutely incredible CV. And he was in the White House, in the White House, and on the call when Donald Trump tried to shake down and solicit a bribe or offer a bribe. I, I suppose you could say it went both ways. And of course, you know, the impeachment clause of the Constitution says a president shall be impeached for treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. When Trump solicited a bribe from the president of Ukraine, you give me this, I'll give you that. Quid pro quo is the Latin for this for that. And this for that is the, is the English for bribery. So anyhow, this guy who is an army lieutenant colonel, as is his brother, by the way, and works in the White House, he's going to have an interesting day going to work tomorrow, is testifying right now before Congress, or was just a short while ago. He is the National Security Council Director. He works for the National Security Council, Director for European Affairs, which includes, of course, Ukraine. And so he was on this call. And after the call, Sondland, the, you know, the, the hotel rich guy from Portland, was saying to the people in the room, you know, we're not going to give that military aid to Ukraine unless Ukraine gives us some dirt on Biden. And Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said, no, you can't. That's wrong. That's not honorable. That's not American. That's, those, are, those are not our values. That's a crime. Soliciting foreign help in a domestic election, that's against the law. And so what does Trump TV go do? This is insane. And it kind of goes back to this question, my original question. Do you think that the Republicans are going to lose in 2020? Or put another way, do you think the Democrats are going to win in 2020? And if so, to what extent? I mean, what, what are your bets, right? I'm thinking that there's an actual probability now that the Democrats take all three branches of government. And if so, and I, I realize, you know, I'm knocking wood as I'm speaking here, but, you know, if this is the case, then probably the next conversation we should have is what do we do? You know, what does the dog do when it catches the car, when it gets the car bumper? So anyhow, back to Vindman. So we go to state TV, to Fox News, you know, to Trump TV. And Fox and Friends, Brian Kilmeade. This is from this piece uh, written by Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos. He says, Brian Kilmeade again dismissed the Purple Heart recipient's connections to the country he served for decades. Instead, says Kilmeade, Vindman, quote, tends to feel simpatico with Ukraine. We also know he was born in the Soviet Union. Well, yeah, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union when he was born. And his family fled when he was three. Donald Trump tweeted about Vindman. He called him a never-Trumper, which last week he said never-Trumpers are human scum. And this is just mind-boggling. This is just absolutely mind-boggling. There's a brilliant piece by Philip Bump in today's Washington Post, The Fundamentally Un-American Attacks on Alexander Vindman. You know who has stood up and said that these guys who are attacking Vindman, and there are several of them. You had John Yu on Laura Ingram's show yesterday on Trump TV. You got Brian Kilmeade this morning on Fox and Friends. Sean Duffy, U.S. Republican congressman on CNN. He says, I understand that. We all have an affinity for our homeland where we came from. Like me, I'm sure the Vindman has the same affinity, and he's entitled to his opinion. He has a, an affinity, I think, for the Ukraine. He speaks Ukrainian. He came from the country, and he wants to make sure they're safe and free. In other words, this guy isn't loyal to the United States. 
If you can't attack the information, you attack the messenger. I mean, that's what they're doing. And now, of all people, Liz Cheney has stepped up and said, these attacks are un-American. You guys need to stop. Liz Cheney. The woman is fine with torturing people, but I guess a broken clock is right twice a day. But back to how we got here. How did we even get here to a point where we've got a political party in office that fundamentally does the opposite of what the majority of the American people want? I mean, in a representative democracy, the people, the majority, what the people, the majority of the people want is what is supposed to be enacted into law. And that was the way it worked here in the United States right up until the 1980s. I mean, we got a long list of things that we got prior to the 1980s. Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, the 40-hour work week. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. All of those things clean air standards, clean water standards, all of that was prior to 1981. All of that was prior to the Supreme Court saying it's fine for billionaires to own politicians. And now you've got PG&E passing four and a half billion dollars to their shareholders and saying screw you to San Francisco that wants to buy out their infrastructure. Literally people are dying because PG&E is so corrupt and yet even the Democrats in California can't do anything about it because so many of the Democrats are owned by PG&E in California. So where is this all going? How do we fix this? I mean, it seems to me like step one is getting money out of politics. Louise and I have been using CBD oil for a while, and it is great. And New Leaf Natural CBD oil is superlative. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the USA. The only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U-LeafNaturals.com, and get 30% off and free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleaf, N-U-LeafNaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. N-U-LeafNaturals.com, newleafnaturals.com. Code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M, newleafnaturals.com. Mike in Manhattan, Montana. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? How's it going, Tom? Great. What's up? So, so I'm, I listen to a right-wing show here in Montana every morning, and I call in all the time and repeat things you say. But <laughs> ah, Good on you. So today you repeated them. They're saying that the Dems are getting embarrassed and that Republicans just don't want to admit who they're going to vote for, and that's why the polling is where it is. Uh, and so we're basically saying that the Republicans are embarrassed to vote for Trump, but they're going to anyways, you know. You know, the last time I heard this was in the early 2000s when, when we started seeing a lot of redshift where the exit polls would show that, for example, the exit poll in 2004, the exit polls in Ohio showed that John Kerry won by about three points, but the actual vote caused him to lose by 160,000 votes. So they went to the pollsters and they said, you know, why were your polls off? You know, not thinking it might have had to do with, you know, who knows, you know, people being thrown off the voting rolls and not knowing that their vote didn't count or electronic machines that were untrustworthy or the fact that at 1130 that night on the night of the election, Ohio had to reboot their election systems and retake all their data off a server in Kentucky that was owned by friends of Karl Rove. You know, who knows? But the answer that they came up with was, well, the Republicans were just embarrassed to admit that they had voted for George W. Bush. And, you know, I've heard this excuse before, Mike. I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't hold a lot of water for me. No, I don't agree with it. And can I plug a product to get off plastic? Yeah, sure. Go for it. It's called the Green Up Box, and it's a monthly subscription to quit using plastic. Hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Good talking right. to you. I appreciate the call. John in Vancouver. John, what's on your mind today? Hey, I was just wondering, you know, 
I think that the difference in the deep state between the right and the left and what we need to connect, convince the right of is the deep state actually exists in corporate America, not within our government. Our government has oversight where behind closed doors and in the Seychelles Islands, these CEOs are determining what our benefits are going to be and what our pay is going to be. That's an interesting point. And for that matter, determining what our laws are going to be. This was the Gillens and Page study in 2014 that our laws are now being written by corporate lobbyists, you know, put into effect by corporate law. You know, basically, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not we the people. It's not even legislators anymore. It's the shadow government of the deep state, and that yeah. is in transnational corporations. Yeah, yeah, the deep state is the corporate state, you know, brought to you courtesy of Citizens United and Buckley and First National Bank on these Supreme Court decisions. This, this policy, this doctrine that the Supreme Court invented out of thin air. That's an excellent point, so, John. Go ahead. One other quick point. If Biden isn't going to take big money, maybe we should organize Progressive Palooza mm -hmm. and get some musical artists on board to throw big concerts and raise money for our presidential candidate. Yeah, I think it's the other way around. I think he's going to take big money. He wasn't uh, going to take super PAC money. But you don't disarm before the war is over, even if your goal is disarmament. And so I'm thinking that whoever is the Democratic nominee, if there are billionaires, you know, Tom Steyer's and George Soros is out there who want to support them, that they should be allowed to. You know, I realize that that's like, you know, not living your values. And so I'm kind of conflicted about it, but that's, that's what I'm thinking. John, thanks a lot for the call. All right, peace out, brother. Yeah, there you go. Good talking to you. So let me just wrap this rant up. For example, pharmaceuticals are getting more and more expensive. Why? In part because in 2003, there was this law, it was called the Medicare Modernization Act of 2003. They created Medicare Part D. In other words, Medicare would pay for your drugs, but made it illegal for Medicare to negotiate drug prices. So, you know, Medicare may pay for a million tablets of penicillin a year, but they have to pay as if they bought them one pill at a time, full retail which is, you know, a multi-hundred billion dollar windfall for the drug industry. And it's also one of the reasons why drug prices have been exploding. 93% of Democrats think the government should be able to negotiate prices. 74% of Republicans think the government should be able to negotiate prices. You would think, therefore, the government should be, you know, is able to negotiate prices. I mean, that was 2003. That was, what, 13 years ago? 16 years ago? That was a while ago. We've had plenty of, plenty of opportunities to fix this. Why hasn't it gotten fixed? Because our government has been taken over basically as the last caller said. The deep state is the corporate state, is the transnational corporate state. Our government has been basically taken over by everybody else. And therefore, we no longer have democracy. And this is an absolute crisis. People talk about constitutional crisis. We are having a democratic, small d, democratic crisis in this country. Since the 1980s, since the Supreme Court doctrine that allowed corporations and billionaires to take over our government, and Reagan enthusiastically embraced these folks, and to some extent some of the Democrats have as well. Since that time, government no longer is doing what the people want. I mean, Americans want clean air, pure water, healthy environment, and yet every administration since Reagan, and yes, including two Democratic administrations, there have been some forward movements in those administrations, but the arc of things has been backwards. The majority of Americans want affordable college, strong Social Security, a livable minimum wage. But since 1980, everything's been going in the opposite direction. Why? Because the average people's opinions don't matter anymore. Gillens and Page, these two professors from Princeton and um, Northwestern, did this study a couple of years ago. I think it was published in 2014. And they wrote about it in the Washington Post. And here's what they had to say. They said, strong support among the affluent is associated with a 25-point greater probability of a policy being adopted, while strong support among the middle class is actually associated with a small decline in the likelihood that a policy will be adopted. In other words, our legislators, whether it's at the state level or the federal level, are no longer doing what the majority of the people want. In fact, they, want, they go on to say, in other words, strong support among high-income Americans roughly doubles the probability that a policy will be adopted, like tax cuts for billionaires. Strong support among the middle class has essentially no effect.
end of quote. Well, that means you don't have a democracy. A democracy is where the will of the majority of the people is enacted into law through a legislative process. In a representative democracy, it's done, you hire essentially people, you vote people in, and then they do it on your behalf, your elected representatives. In a pure democracy, you, you vote for it yourself. Now, about half our states have that with ballot initiatives. We don't have that at the federal level. But it just isn't happening anymore. It hasn't, basically has not happened since 1981. Americans never said to Reagan, hey, take a big bite out of Social Security. Cut back on Medicare and, and Medicaid. No, but that's what happened. Americans never said to Reagan, hey, kill the rights of working people. Flatten the minimum wage. Lower wages for working people. No, they never said that, but that's what they got. And that's what they're continuing to get. So anyhow, democracy is, is it dead or is it on life support? And what's this going to mean for the 2020 election? You're listening to Tom Hartman. John Hartman here with you. On the line with us is our old buddy, Greg Pallas, investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, the best democracy money could buy. GregPallas.com is the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallas, just like I'm Tom underscore Hartman. Greg, welcome back. Glad to be with you, Tom. You and I were talking over the weekend about the privatization of public power. I'm talking about electricity when I say power and what PG&E is up to and, and how it's actually killing people and has killed a whole bunch of people. And then San Francisco said, well, we'll buy PG&E's uh, San Francisco infrastructure and pay them a good penny for it. And, and PG&E said, screw you. Uh, same thing happened to Portland, by the way, about a decade ago when it was yes. Portland Gas and Electric here. When Enron went down, this part of Enron got spun off. The city tried to buy it. They refused to sell it to the city. They said, we will not sell it to a nonprofit, to a city, period. How do they get away with that? <laughs> Here's how they get it. It's called greed, okay? You know, if, 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 you, if, if banks make a killing, it's, it's even more than the stockholders and the executives who are cash in on private utilities who have you by the bulbs. There's only one line that goes into your house. The idea that there could be a free market in electricity is a nutcase fantasy. And people should know, before I was an investigative reporter, I was an investigator and a specialist in crimes committed by power companies like PG&E. Whoa. I brought bracketeering cases on behalf of the Justice Department and several attorneys general. I worked at the California Utility Commission, by the way. And for a short time, I was the executive director of the New York Science and Technology Commission, and there I wrote a law where we had a similar case on Long Island, New York, three million customers, the giant utility, local Long Island lighting, and okay. it was killing people. And the lights were out, the reliability was terrible, the investors were greedy, and the management was incompetent. And so we took over the company. We took this giant private company. We being the state or the city or who? The state. Okay, okay. what happened is the state of New York created an authority right. which bought the utility, took over the utility on behalf of the consumers. I wrote that law. I was asked to write that law, which allowed the state to do it. And here's how we did it cheaply. Hey, uh, San Francisco, forget buying the lines. That's expensive, and they're going to fight you in court. San Jose has a great idea for making PG&E, this renegade deadly utility. It's, it's an academy for accidental arsonists. Yeah. It's got to go. It's in bankruptcy court. And so what we did was in Long Island, which you can do in California, we can do here now in California, is to make a hostile takeover, just like Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, just like all the corporate raiders like Wilbur Ross. In fact, by the way, I, I um, brought in Wilbur Ross to help out in Long Island to take over this renegade power company and make a hostile tender offer for the company's stock, which a state can do, believe it or not, hmm. to protect its citizens. We did, and I coupled it. I also drafted a civil racketeering case against the company. A jury awarded us $4 billion. We bought the company for a buck. Wow. Okay, now, and that's how you do it. Okay, I, I don't know what do a it. hostile takeover tender is, Greg. Can you, okay. and I'm, I'm guessing probably a lot right. of people listening have no idea what you're talking about. All right, if, if, you, if you didn't see the film Wall Street, uh, basically PG&E stock is in the toilet. It's worth $5 a share and dropping. If you add up all the shares, it's less than $3 billion. So rather than buying their lines at high price, still being, you know, you're literally still plugged into their crazy, dangerous system. 
you buy the whole shebang buy for less company. than $3 billion. Yeah, you just make a tender offer. You buy their stock out. Is a tender like offer where you go out to the, all the stockholders and say, hey, you're, you're sitting on a, on a PG&E, you know, you've got 5,000 shares of PG&E, I'll buy it from you for a certain amount? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, right now it's five bucks, and it's burning down to zero, as the Wall Street Journal says. Stock. So if the state came in, if California came in and said, "Okay, PG&E's stock is held by you know individuals, by by right. pension funds, by all kinds of things," um, so yeah. if the state comes in and says PGE's stock is five bucks right now, we will buy any outstanding shares of PGE stock. Any any you know anybody who wants to sell it to us, we'll buy it for eight bucks a share. Now, you have to add a second hammer, and this is the second hammer that worked in Long Island. Again, I want to tell you, we took over this giant power company, which serves an area bigger than San Francisco right. in population and size, and we cut the rates. We increased the liabilities. We turned the lights back on. We made it a safer system. And by the way, we shut down a dangerous nuclear plant, the Shoreham plant. Right now, PG&E, just so you know, is running the Diablo nuclear plant, if you think that that's a safe idea with those bozos, I don't think so. Yeah. We, so we did it in Long Island by saying, yes, we're going to buy this, but we also filed charges against the company, a civil case, for the damage that they created and the lies that they told us. And if you're wondering about PG&E lies, let's put it this way. Currently, in Sonoma, there's the Big Kincaid fire. According to terrific investigative reporting by the Wall Street Journal, he, this was fire was caused by a snapped jumper cable on the geyser electric line, which PG&E said two years ago they would fix. The fix would be done by April of this year. It's October, ladies and gentlemen, and it busted and it set Sonoma County on fire. Ninety-three thousand people have just been evacuated from that fire. Wow. What you're describing, you know, charging yeah. Long Island Power with crimes. That's happening right now with PG&E. I mean, you've got you know some of these families uh, who had members killed in some of these fires, homeowners and business. I mean, there's just a whole pile of lawsuits against PG&E. That's why they're declaring bankruptcy to get out from underneath all those liabilities. But so, what we need is we need the state itself right. and the local governments to file massive fraud and racketeering cases. The evidence is screaming at you. This, right. It's literally burning in front of your face of mass and greedy negligence. It's all about the reason they didn't fix the line. is not just incompetence. It's a lot of money to fix your system to make sure. it so it doesn't kill your customers. You know, remember, they're, they're, uh, in San Bruno, they burnt eight people to death when their gas lines exploded. Again, I investigated that. That was negligence. They knew that they had a faulty pipeline inspection gauge. So it's a long history of PG&E cutting corners, saving money, burning you to death, blowing up your home. And this as a no judge joke. pointed out a couple of weeks ago, while they were doing this, they were funneling $4.5 billion to their shareholders as dividends, and they were paying their executives millions and millions of dollars, huge bonuses and high pay and all this kind of stuff. Let's just turn this over to some good old-fashioned bureaucrats who know how to run a power company, people who work for the state, who are not making $30 million a year but you know have a good salary and a pension. Bring in the technocrats, the people who understand power, and have them do it right. That's right. And, in fact, actually, the, the city of San Jose has said, let's make it a customer-owned utility using the power company's own engineers who actually know what to do if they're given the okay by the management and they're given a budget. So we have to take over this company, and we have the pattern from Long Island, New York, a multibillion-dollar utility, which we took over for nuts. And that's the only way to save yourself from being... From being crisp in your electric bills, <laughs> if not physically. There you go. Greg Pallast, gregpallast.com, the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallast. Greg, thanks a lot for dropping by. You're the best, Tom. Thank you. You too. Good talking with you, my friend. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Dan in Kane, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan, what's up? Yes, sir. In reference to uh, PG&E out in California, California has a lot of sun. I think if they started localizing uh, the solar panels and stuff out there, they could do away with a lot of those high-tension lines. Right. PG&E has a business model of centralized generation and long-line distribution of power. And 
you know, now as the climate is changing and the forests are drying out in California as a result of, you know, what, we're six years into a drought now. And, and of course, you get the Santa Ana winds and everything, and it knocks these, breaks up these giant power lines, and they go down with giant sparks, and they start fires. And, you know, that's happened time after time after time. PG&E is going to do everything they can to maintain that centralized generation and long-line distribution because it's how they make their profit. But if PG&E was taken over by the state, and the state was to say, you know, hey, if you want solar power, we'll give you solar power. You don't have to worry. You know, all these, and I think, you know, you got a couple of million people now who have been exposed to blackouts, you know, that PG&E is trying to diminish their liability. They're trying to prevent more of these fires who are probably right now thinking, damn, you know, if I had solar power, I'd be in good shape. So, Dan, I think your point is very, very well taken. Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWNGOLD. Tom Hartman here with you, and what do we do with all this? Elizabeth Warren has taken on education in a big way. She wants to quadruple federal Title I funding to schools with high proportions of students from low-income families. Now, why would that be? Because we pay for schools in the United States with a property tax. And property taxes in low-income neighborhoods are crappy, and, you know, they're, they're very little money, and so the schools aren't good. Schools in high-income neighborhoods really, really do well. This would change the funding formula. She wants to invest in school buildings, which are all too often crumbling, basically, since the Reagan tax cuts, we stopped putting money into infrastructure like that. Um, another point is that she says that uh, our schools, because our schools are funded the property tax way because of all this um, poor schools in poor neighborhoods, good schools in good neighborhoods, what happens is that where there's good schools, property values start going up. As property values go up, lower income people get pushed out, including minorities. But her actual statement, modern residential segregation is driven at least in part by income inequality and parents seeking out the best possible school districts for their children by investing more money in all our public schools and helping ensure that every public school is a great one. My plan will address one of the key drivers of residential segregation. She's calling for uh, canceling student lunch debt and calling for free school uh, breakfasts and lunches. I don't know if you saw the study over the weekend, I think it was in the Washington Post, that uh, regardless of income, Regardless of school district, those schools that have free school lunches, the kids perform better. <laughs> it's, it's just a, a remarkable study. And uh, stopping the teaching to the test, pay our teachers better. She says, to keep our traditional school system strong, we must resist efforts to divert public funds out of traditional public schools. She wants a ban on for-profit charter schools. Uh, she wants the existing charter schools to have to have the same oversight and transparency as public schools. Right now, they get a pass and she wants to crack down on rampant fraud in the for-profit charter school industry. All good ideas in my mind. On the other hand, Julio Rivera says no. He's the editorial director of Reactionary Times, columnist with Newsmax, the American thinker, and townhall.com, reactionarytimes.com is the website. And Julio, your Twitter handle is, oh yeah, it's Julio. Julio, welcome back. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. First off, let me say, um, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. Your friend John Conyers there. You know, I'm sorry to hear that. He was a good guy. Um, but let me, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I didn't agree with him on a lot of things politically, but I'm sorry to hear that. I have to say this. I can see very clearly that this is just another attempt by Elizabeth Warren and the status of her ilk to try to grab a, a stranglehold 
on the education of our children. The fact of the matter is charter schools are important. Education choice is important. You know, I mean, they're running this thing right now, you know, the, the, the common core system previously and, and what's been going on with, you know, the, the, the Department of Education, which I feel should, quite frankly, should be abolished because it's being abused. You know, you can't have unelected bureaucrats deciding what our children are going to learn on the federal level. You know, curriculums and, and the way our children are taught and the way that the education is run should be done on the local level. You know, the, the, the people that are actually dealing with our children, All I think, have that. a better idea of how to educate them. Yeah, now, you get this. It, this has become a racket hang, hang with on the curriculums and the textbooks. Take, oh, a, take, a, take a breath for a second here. You, you've just thrown sure. out like six or eight different things. Let's just start right. at the beginning. You, you said that Elizabeth Warren is a statist. Yeah. Um, I agree. She is following in the tradition of Franklin Roosevelt. She believes that the government, when it does what the people want can actually do good things. Now, the government hasn't done what the people want since the 1980s. And I, you know, I blame the Supreme Court for that, making you know, uh, money into free speech. But, you know, and, and right now we know from the Gillens and Page study that the, the odds of what the bottom 90% of Americans want being passed into law are actually lower than the odds of random occurrence, whereas the odds of the top 10% desires getting passed into law are very high. So, yeah, you know, if we go back, you know, right now, statism isn't working because the state has been captured by corporate interests. You call Warren and me, by extension, statists. I would say that the position that you're taking, Julio, is a corporatist position, which, uh, you know, no, it's has not a corporatist. It's an individual position. Listen, I don't want a centralized Washington, D.C. deciding what the children are taught. And I don't really necessarily think that the states are, are doing much of a better job either. Look what's going on in California right now, where they're trying to teach sex education to kindergartners and graphic. No, detail, they're basically they're basically know, teaching kindergartners to look out to look out for sexual abuse. But here, this is this is what Franklin no, Roosevelt said in nineteen thirty eight. Teaching them about sexual activity at, at, a, at an age where their mature their maturity level is not where where they can process. Yeah. Julio, you're, you're you're blowing this all out of proportion. The, the uh, Franklin Roosevelt said the first truth. This is in his uh, address to Congress in 1938, his, his State of the Union address. He said, the first truth is that the liberty of a democracy is not safe if the people tolerate the growth of private power to a point where it becomes stronger than their democratic state itself. That, in its essence, is fascism. Ownership of government by an individual, by a group, or by any other controlling private yeah. power. Mm -hmm. And I that's the essence that. of our debate. What, 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 you know, you're taking no, the position the that private no, companies, private companies mm -hmm. should be you know, running our schools, owning our schools, mm -hmm. deciding what our children learn. And I'm taking the position no, that we, the my, people, should mm -hmm. be making those decisions through our democratically elected representatives. No, you're making the argument that the government should have total and complete, you know, unrestrained control of the education. Because the government is us. As a no, the, you're making the yeah, argument you, you that that should that, be in the hands you? of some you corporation. That, don't you, Tom? I do. The fact of the matter is, listen, at me as a parent, I have two children. I want to have the choice if my if I can send if I'm get my kid into a charter school or if I can get tax breaks for educating my kid, either homeschooling my child or sending them to a private school. Julio, I, I have no problem with any of that. I, you know, I, have, have, I have three kids. No, one went to a private school, one was homeschooled, and one went to the public schools. I mean, I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. What I'm saying That's is good. I don't want my tax dollars funding your private school. I don't want my tax dollars funding your Christian academy. I don't want my tax dollars funding, you know, your... your, your what if it's the Christian right academy... Or the, or the school that you wind up sending your child to directly. Like, there needs to be serious reforms as far as how, what kind of tax credits individuals who want to send their child to a Let's have serious reforms like Elizabeth Warren argument. is proposing that actually turn every public school into a world-class school. Well, you know, every other developed country in the world does this. Really? Why can't we do I it mean, in America? Do you really believe that the government is capable of doing that, though, Tom? Please name one like, country for me. The government can't even run the DMV. They name, can't even make the post office name, profitable. Name one country for me, neither of which are true, not, name one country for me where private schools have supplanted public schools and it's worked out well. I don't care what other countries are doing, quite frankly. I mean, it doesn't I think that what work. we need to worry about what you're is suggesting doesn't work. 
what, I want you know, to have been, the we've been, to do Julio, what I'd we've been like doing to do this experiment since Reagan, right? It was the 1980s yeah. when they when they rolled out this whole let's use tax dollars for private school things with a lot of with a lot of help from Jerry Falwell. You know, he wanted to start his own mm -hmm. schools, and some of it goes back to the 50s when Virginia and Maryland, some counties in those two states, and one of the states, I forget which one, shut down their entire public school system for a year because they didn't want to have to integrate it after the Brown v. Board education decision. And that's what's largely been animating this whole private school thing ever since is, no, oh my God, I don't want my kid going to school with minorities. Being able to think, no, it has nothing this, to do with that. But this Tom. experiment Listen. has failed. Our schools worked really well before Reagan came along and started doing this. We yeah, had great schools in the 50s, 60s, We didn't and 70s. have a Department of Education back then. That's what you're failing to see, Tom. All it, these big the, federal programs are designed to teach the children all the same thing. And it doesn't serve to make America better if everybody is learning the same thing. We have to have diversity. These charter schools all have different specialties, which wind up teaching these, uh, you know, the, for the professions of the future. I mean, how are we going to find our professionals? If you want to send your kid to a private, industries, to a private school that just teaches acting, go for it. But don't no, ask me for the tax no. money. There's STEM schools out there. It was cool. that way we teach our own kids to these professions. We don't have to keep importing these people. If you think that it's not, if you want to send your kids, that Americans should have. Well, if you want to send your kids to a school where they teach science and math to the exclusion of social studies and anthropology and history, go for it. But don't ask me to pay for it. <laughs> Well, you know what? Go I don't get give why you're asking me to pay, pay for your preferences. Myself. I think that's, a, that's a big part of the conversation. Well, I no, think parents don't have the power to try to help all, their kids all get the Elizabeth Warren, they want them to get. Julio, because, because all the Warren is saying, with both hands. all Warren is saying right, is right. let's make our public schools world class. And if you want to have private schools, charter schools, or any other kind of you school, know, pay for it yourself, damn it. Let's make our public schools world class. What does that even mean, Tom? It means bring them up mean? to the standards of the rest of the world. Fully fund all of them. So if you live in a poor neighborhood, you don't have a crappy school. It's just well, that simple. I mean, listen, the fact of the matter is there's some, some like, listen, I'll tell you like this. Where I went to school, there were six eighth grade, eighth grade classes. There were 216 kids in the eighth grade. When I went to high school, there were 3,000 kids in the school. You know how many kids were in my graduating class? Less than 700. We lost about 80% of the students from my freshman year to my senior year. Are the schools in the inner cities terrible? Yes, of course they are. So but you let's know fix why? them. You know they, why? Because they're property tax. Happening. Because they're funded it's by property taxes. Jersey. Julio, thanks, thanks so for much, dropping by. Yeah, good talking to you. Uh, oh, yeah, it's All Julio right. is his uh, Twitter this handle. is the Tom Hartman Program. And he writes for ReactionaryTimes.com. Julio Rivera. We'll be right back. Reginald in Houston, Texas, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Reginald, what's on, what's on your mind today? Hey, hey, Tom, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's right on point for the free education for all. And I think if we go, you know, out of the war, bending budget for aircraft carriers and all that, we could do that. Now, you look at why, like, revering those individuals, they really are pushing charter schools. That's the, the new cash cow that's out here for individuals. Even Barack Obama, when he was in office, where he's making his money now, if you investigate it, he was into charter schools when he was in his administration. That's what his big dollar uh, choice is going now. And what he did with Chicago, uh, uh, you know, why he, did, he didn't push the public schools, why they deteriorated. And that's part of gentrification that's happening all throughout the United States as part of the charter school movement. And when you put a charter school in and you, you, you uh, let a public school die in order to create the charter school necessity by one deteriorating and making and saying that this is a necessity while you do that, that deteriorates a community, and then also it, it starts, it helps with that, it creates that gentrification process, and that's part of what the charter school system is, is creating, and also cre is creating that gentrification problem uh, that's also create, making this situation way worse, yep. at least prison, uh, the school to prison pipeline. Yeah, and Elizabeth Warren is explicitly pointing this out, in addition to calling for, you know, debt-free college and all these other things. The process is really simple. I was complaining about this back in the 80s. Come into, you, you have a poor school district. It's poor 
because the people who live there are low income and therefore their property taxes are low because their homes are not worth that much. And therefore the amount of property tax that's going to the schools, you know, which is principally funding the schools is low. So the schools are poorly performing, you know, uh, class size is too large, all these kinds, all, all the problems that come with, with underfunded schools. So then these conservatives come along and these billionaires, you know, Bill Gates and his buddies, and, and they funded that movie, you know, Waiting for Superman or whatever it was. And they come along and they say, oh, look at these schools aren't doing well in these poor neighborhoods. Let's bring the free market in. Let's bring in choice. People don't need choice. They need to fund their damn schools. And that's and then you're right. And that and then once you defund them, in order for the charters to succeed, something else has to die. And they purposely yeah. let that die. And then they not only take over the schools, they take over the communities. And they, they don't uh, the community reinvestment act or with the banks don't go through there. They start redlining the area. Yep. They ain't like they're doing here in Houston. Uh, the the the, the uh, third ward that's right around the the, the uh, uh, downtown. Mm -hmm. All of that's been taken over and created. In charter schools, the school that I went to is about to die out. We only we had uh, we had 250 black uh, schools here in Texas, and now we only have uh, seven that was part of the original uh, 250 during a uh, uh, segregated time. We only have seven left. All the rest of them been been closed and and, and took over by charters. Taken over by charters, so they weren't they weren't actually closed. They were acquired, essentially. Yeah, they acquired were by hostile takeovers. Taken by charters, then the communities go, and then then you have the regentrification. They're pushed out, and then they end up being uh you know caught up into that 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 school to prison yeah. pipeline, so they're not accepted in those charters. There you go, Reginald. Thank you very much. Spot on. Until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. Louise convinced me there was a product worth sharing, and, well, a year later, I have to say she's right. Key to losing weight, of course, is getting your appetite and those pesky food cravings under control. Once you do that, the rest is easy. The holidays are just around the corner, and my producer, Sean, wanted to lose a few pounds ahead of eating season. Sean is trying Ridgizone, just one capsule with breakfast and forget it. Second one at dinner for days when you need a little extra help. Sean says when you don't feel hungry, it's easier to make better choices. It's only been a month, and Sean says she's really happy with how Ridgizone is working. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant, and that really appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Ridgizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Ridgizone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Ridgizone.com. Promo code TOM. Ridgizone.com. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you and uh, Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? A rebuttal, I guess, to your guest. This is the problem I have with, and I don't know why he has to just shout, and it's this, I have a right attitude. But in terms of charter schools, and this is pretty much the same thing with all the alternatives that they want, the right wing wants, and this uh, take what we're talking about with Greg Palace, the same theory exists with taking public monies for private use. So I started as a teacher, I started my teacher training in 1984. And I became a certified teacher in 1987. I was a big proponent of charter schools, what the idea originally was. But what the idea of a charter school is now is a combination of two failed ideas. Just quickly, what a charter school was supposed to be was a small program. It was usually within a school where they section off maybe one wing of the school, a few classrooms with a few kids, and they would try out new ideas. And then they would try to translate those new techniques into the greater district or into the school and then into the greater district. The problem was is that they didn't translate. They were dependent on size in the same way as uh, I have a friend who's a research chemist, and he says, I do my research in a 500-milliliter flask, but this stuff that we're supposed to be producing goes in a 5,000-gallon reactor. It's mm. not the same. Right. The dynamics are different. It's trying to, like, make a 500-gallon uh, you know, pot of gumbo you know, from your recipe that you're used to using in your kitchen. It doesn't turn out the same. And so what they went to in the 90s, my supervisor, our director said, no, we would not become a voucher school. And I said, well, why not? They said, because the vouchers wouldn't be enough to cover the tuition. Mm. So that, that idea failed, too. So now they started going with, well, 
we should have all this choice. This choice canard is the one that they always trot out when they want to make private a public good, whether it's utilities, whether it's schools, whether it's health care. Oh, you want to have a choice of health insurance companies? No, I don't. I want to have my damn health expenses paid for. Right, but the choice the choice thing is, is I'm getting to that's exactly true. But the choice that they want to have is, let's say, a private, uh, a charter school that has, you know, 50 kids in it that meets in a church basement, and they have uh, four or five teachers, and they have a great student ratio. But is that fair to, for them to take the, the public money to, uh, in some of these places are successful, many of them are not. But should they, t- should they be able to have that choice to have a, a 10 to 1 teacher ratio where the rest of the district at large has 30 or 35 kids in a class? Why is that their choice? Right. Why do they get that choice? And what I said about... With our tax choice, dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was saying about, yes, I believe in paying for the public schools, but if you made it choice at the level of funding, in other words, let's say I didn't pay, I could choose to pay my, my tax, my school taxes either to the public school district or to a charter school or to a private school, you, would see, you wouldn't see these charter schools exist if people actually had to say, yeah, I want to give it to uh, Acme Private School or Acme Charter School because they're grabbing the funds. And what happens right. to these charter schools, just like many private schools, is they're resource poor. Because the way it all the, the way it all works out is it's the fact that there aren't there are people paying taxes that don't have kids in the school, and that's how the school district parlays together enough money to make the programs that they have computers and all the resources that they have. And every right. private school I've ever taught in is resource poor, and they think, no, I want to get this money uh, for my choices. And what they're really doing is they they don't want to. And the choice that they have is like everybody else. If you want to go to a private school then go buy it. Go pay for it. Yeah, that's, like, that, was my, that, that, was, that was what I was saying to Julio, is if you want your kids to go to a private school, pay for it yourself. You know, one of my kids went to a private school. Louise and I paid for it ourselves. This was 20 years ago, but that's how it should be. Paul, thank you very much. Michelle in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Michelle, what's up? Hi, Tom. Just as a side note about baseball, Coke Industries has a large sign uh, sponsor sign out in the middle of right field, so I guess they want to remind their their, uh, their benefactors that even they can't go to a sporting event in Washington, they have to let them know who's boss. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. The other night. But I wanted to talk also about the public education system. And our public education system was set up so that every student had equal opportunities for a good education. And if you privatize it and you start using vouchers, What's going to happen is the schools are going to have to pick winners and losers. They're going to have to base on academics. They'll have to base on who's the best sports player. And it's going to be a win versus lose. Yeah. And, and that's already happening argue- all over the country. So, and the, the, uh, the other thing that I would say, too, is this conservative argument is we need to reform schools so that kids in lower incomes can go to college. No, that's not the problem. The problem is higher education is so expensive that those kids don't have a chance. And if you want to look at higher education, it is the perfect example of why we do not need to do to to high school and elementary education what was done to our higher education system. Amen. Very, very well said. Michelle, thank you. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Hi, Tom. Either I'm hallucinating more than this uh, seemingly this early in the week, or we are in a world where a government official who notifies the inspector general of wrongdoing is threatened with execution by the president, while a staffer for the ranking Republican on the House Intel Committee goes around trying to push out the name of at least one of the uh, yes. whistleblowers. Now, just so people don't understand what you're talking about, this National Security Administration staffer, was accused last night and this morning on Trump TV on Fox News of basically being a traitor, being, you know, being loyal to Ukraine, which is where he was born. He came here when he was three years old. He has no recollection of Ukraine, um, but he's, a, he's a, an expert on Ukraine. I mean, you know, he knows the region um, but of being more loyal to Ukraine than the United States. I mean, that, that's pretty disgusting. And then Devin Nunes's guy, he's got an, you know, one of his assistants has been making sure that a number of Republican members of Congress, this is during closed door testimony, but they know the name of the whistleblower. And let's say his name is Joe Blow. I'm not gonna say his name, but let's say it's Joe Blow. They have been saying just kind of randomly to various witnesses when they have their opportunity to ask questions. Uh, By the way, you ever hear of Joe Blow? 
And the witness goes, no, I don't, you know, I don't know. And they're just trying to get that name into the congressional record so that when those transcripts are released, everybody will be able to figure out who the whistleblower is so the flying monkeys will be able to descend on it. And meanwhile, the government refuses to reveal the name of a Belgian Malamois dog who took part in the al-Baghdadi raid, apparently because there's a hazard that some terrorist hit squad is going to look up the address of Sergeant Sniffy on the uh, telephone directory. Yeah. I mean, this is insane. Well, I, I don't know. I, you know. I don't know how closely dog names are tied to individuals or to battalions or to groups or to there may be a legitimate reason for that mike I, it does seem minor fact that trump even revealed that there was a dog though according to n numerous intelligence experts who've been on you know mostly msnbc and cnn but you know are speaking up in the press that was a big problem because you know now they can not only track us by what we're doing but by what our animals are doing are they bringing an animal with them they can plan ways to prevent you know how do we take out animals let's get some you know things that are really loud high frequency noises trump is equipping the people who are you know who are opposed to us it's just that simple mike thanks for the call jim in valley center california hey jim what's up uh, hi, Tom. Best show on the radio. I Thank tell you. everyone to watch listen to it. Thank you. Here's why I called, and I'm completely in agreement with you. The deep state is lobbyist. The deep state yep. is money. Yep. The deep state controls what's going on. What you said about the fires in California is so true. I live in a rural area now, and because of that, we've had our power off numerous times in a Wildfire came within a half a mile of us last Friday. It was scary, but uh, everybody's okay. What I really hope that Elizabeth Warren does, or Joe Biden, but in Elizabeth Warren's case, when they say uh, medical bill is going to be thirty trillion, she says, "Well, yeah, but we're spending forty trillion. We're saving ten trillion dollars by going right. for Medicare for all." Right. I, I mean, we've got to get short, concise answers. I love. Your thing on cover up, Don. I mean, everybody who says that's that should be a short, distinct push immediately. Yep. Not try to be verbose or show how smart you. Yeah. Are. Stop saying obstruction it's, of justice. Start saying cover up. Right. Exactly. And it's, and it's, stop saying quid pro quo. Start saying bribe. Oh, I love it. Or shakedown, Tom. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And. Uh, um, let me give you one quick story. It'll be real quick. My neighbor across the street never had a crossword with him. I'm a Democratic uh, board in Valley Center. We had a party on Sunday. He put signs on his public property because uh, we have big areas not to park there. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, you effing Democrats, you have too many things going on. I mean, that's what this is coming to. Wow. I mean, I've never even other than hello, goodbye. That kind of stuff. Right. Never even had a word with the guy. So uh, we've got to really buck up our things and get after it and get this money out of politics. Yeah, it's poisoning our country. It's poisoning us socially, psychologically, and politically. Jim, thank you. Thanks for sharing that story. I, you know, I'm seeing that same thing in the, the community where I live. We had a very divisive thing where somebody had put out a Trump sign and somebody else was opposed to it, and it just exploded. We shouldn't be having battles like this, you know. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Conversations, yes. I mean, you know, I, we used to have conversations about politics all the time. But, but you're evil, I'm good? I, no. Patrick in Seattle. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi, Tom. Thanks so much for taking my call. Say, sure. you were saying that the issue is money and politics, and I've recall conversations about doing a constitutional amendment would that be something we could do if we had all three branches and yes under the belt of the yes Democrats? and move to amend.org and citizen.org are the two you know most prominent organizations doing this move to amend is kind of a coalition of groups uh, private citizen public citizen ralph nader's old organization is part of that coalition and they are both putting forward constitutional amendments that say that A, corporations aren't people, and B, money is not speech. In other words, knocking down these two doctrines that were wholly invented out of whole cloth, out of nothing, by the Supreme Court in order to facilitate the oligarchy that we're experiencing. The problem is that a constitutional amendment has to pass the House and Senate by two-thirds majorities, and it has to pass the in three-quarters of the states. So it's a really high lift. I mean, the constitutional amendment that said that uh, Congress can't raise their own salary unless it's 
it's the next session and you know you, you can't raise your own salary essentially that was first proposed in 1797 it was finally put into law like you know 15 20 years ago on the other hand lowering the voting age to 17 or 18 that lowering of the voting age, that happened in a matter of four months. That was proposed in March and it became law in August, as I recall, in the 70s, I think. And that was because of the, the Vietnam War. So, yeah, it's possible to do them really fast, but that's when there's a broad public consensus. I think there is a broad public consensus for this. I think people are ready for it. Patrick, thank you for the call. Jackie in Port Townsend, Washington. Hey, Jackie, what's on your mind today? Three articles on the front page of the Seattle Times on October 28th in relation to money and politics. Mm -hmm. The headline is, Boeing helped craft law that undercut oversight. And they put in a few short paragraphs in 463-page legislation that allowed manufacturers to challenge regulators over safety disputes. Not just that. Boeing gets to decide how much the guys working for the FAA get paid. Right. I mean, it's bizarre. Okay. <laughs> Next article, despite promises, Facebook and Google are still selling political ads in state. They promised on December 28th that they would stop selling ads about state and local elections in Washington. Hmm. And the third article is valuable resources flow through states' farmlands, catching Wall Street's eye. And it's about water rights. They're increasingly scarce and valuable commodity and promotes speculation and consolidation of public resources. Yeah, yeah. Money, this money, is, money. Yeah, it's the corporate state. This is what we're seeing is, is the corporate state. And, and frankly, I mean, you know, we used to have language for this. Uh, let me give you a quote. This is, I quoted this yesterday. This is from Franklin Roosevelt in a speech he gave to Congress in 1938 about the problem of monopolies. And he said, the liberty of a democracy is not safe if the people tolerate the growth of private power to the point where it becomes stronger than the democratic state itself. That, in its essence, is fascism. Ownership of government by an individual, by a group, or by any other controlling private power. And that's what we have now. I'm very concerned that if we don't overwhelmingly win this election in 2020, and it's going to be a hell of a fight because lots of money is is lined up against it. If we don't overwhelmingly win this thing, it's going to be the end of anything that even resembles democracy in the United States. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 